She was making $40,000 a year and had over six figures in debt when she taught herself how to generate multiple six figures passively in the stock market. Since then, Ange Matthews has used her investments to become a hotel owner, a real estate investor, and an angel investor. This episode will teach you so many great things. Welcome to the Courage to Be podcast. I'm your host, Tanya Vasayo. And each week, I will bring you amazing guests so that you can tap into the courage to break out of old patterns and live your soul's purpose. Before we get into this episode, if by the end you enjoyed it, please follow, rate, review, and share the podcast so we can reach more people. Because here's the thing, I'm on a mission to close the gender gap in the podcasting world so that more and more women's voices are heard. If you feel that this is something you value too, then please take action by rating, reviewing, following, and sharing the podcast. We can only do this together. Check out the link in the show notes to see how this is done. And make sure to stay until the end to claim some free gifts I have for you. Welcome back to The Courage to Be, where we have powerful conversations to transform your life and business. And today we have Angie Matthews with us. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I am so excited to dive in with you today, Angie. I've just gotten to know Angie in these last months, and I'm so excited to have you on the podcast and for you to share with our audience. You know, Angie's the founder of the Happy Investment Method. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah. And how did you arrive here? I want to hear your story. So it's really funny because I didn't think I'd arrive here. I'll be honest. I didn't necessarily pop out the room being a money magnet or an investing goddess, or these are some of the things that my clients say to me when I show them their numbers and they come back a couple months later and then what their numbers look like. It wasn't always that. And so I say all this to say that I pretty much grew up working lower middle class. So I wasn't rich enough to be rich rich and I wasn't poor enough to be typically poor. And I just knew that I wanted to figure out how to not always be in a scarcity place with money. And after coming out of college, which was was a really long time ago, actually, they're having, I think they're like 15 or 16 year anniversary, which is anniversary, which is crazy to me. But after leaving university, I got a pretty low paying job and they worked me and worked me and I asked for a raise and they said that they couldn't give it to me. It wasn't in their budget. Now, as a regular corporate employee, I didn't understand it. As an entrepreneur now, though, I totally understand what that means. It's like, if there isn't any money and if the company isn't making enough money, we can't pay employees. But at the time, you know, I was in my early 20s. I thought, well, if you don't want to pay me, someone's got to pay me because I want to live a very happy life. So I Googled, how do you become rich? And it's so funny because I didn't have a lot of wealthy people around me at the time that I thought I could ask. So I did know, you know, maybe an aunt or an uncle or two that seems to be living better than the rest of us. And maybe I did come into the workplace knowing of an advisor or someone that people gave their money to. But every time I asked a question, they always asked, well, do you have a couple hundred thousand laying around that I can use? And they never, I said no. So they didn't want to talk to me about money. So that's why I Googled it. And when I did Google it after what seemed to be hours and a constant Google search, like every day, I just pick up the search on like the 10th page. 
it finally said, you either have to invest in the stock market, which is the quickest way if you don't have a lot of money, or if you're looking to just invest a little bit and see how it goes. And you should also try entrepreneurship. So I did both. And I haven't turned back since, and it's probably been about 19 years. Oh my God. So wait, let's go back on this. I know that you had, when you started out, well, I don't know if it was in this job, you started out with a $40,000 a year salary and you had six figures in debt. Talk to us about that. How do you teach yourself? how to generate multiple six figures passively. Because I know, I mean, I don't know what the stats are. You might know, but what's the average debt that an American has right now? Is it 15,000, 20,000, you know, and you were way past that. How do you help yourself so that anyone that's listening, we can give them a little bit of hope that this is possible? Yeah, it is possible. And So that was the job. The 40K was actually that job. And the average American does have quite a bit of debt and it really does vary. So here in the States, a lot of people have pay for their own university, right? They take out student loans and whether they have a higher education degree or even if they get their master's or PhD, a lot of people self-fund that too. So sometimes their parents will put them through undergrad, but if you've got a higher education, higher than that, then a lot of times it's self-funded. And that's where you start getting those hundreds of thousands in the numbers right there. And so it's actually more common than a lot of people believe. But oftentimes when you're that much in the hole, it might seem as if what's the point? you know, this debt is going to be around here my entire life. And I did think that. And so I never really ascribed to the whole debt-free theory, because in my head, I just thought that debt was something that was just always going to be around. And when I calculated saving, if I had to save six figures, I thought, well, how am I going to save six figures and live? That just didn't make any sense to me. So I thought, well, if I invested, then maybe I can invest my money. It will make money and I can pay off the debt and have a little bit more. So that's the rationale that I used when approaching investing. And instead of necessarily cutting dime and penny and not drinking my Starbucks latte, like a lot of other people in this space say to do, what I did was I just traded I just made better decisions with my money. So an example would be I took vacations quite often with my friends and my family, but every now and then I'd say, maybe I'm just going to set this one out. And so instead of not drinking coffee every single day, what I'd say is I'm not going to do a ski trip once a year, right? I'm just going to sit this one out. And of course it's going to hurt a little bit, but I'm going to also go on a cruise with them in the summertime. I'm also going to catch them on the weekends. It's going to be okay. And I take that money and invest or I'd get a tax refund and I would save half of it. I'd spend a little bit on something fun and exciting and then I'd invest that. Or there were times when I would just invest 50 bucks at a time. And so it really, in the beginning, it was scrappy. You know, Tanya, I'm not gonna lie to you. Some folks would see my portfolio in the beginning and think, what was this person doing? It looked like someone who didn't know what the heck they were doing was investing and that it was exactly what was happening. I didn't know what I was doing and I was investing, but I kept at it and I took a lot of classes and actually spoke to other investors. That is amazing. And I love that you're sharing that because from what it sounds like then, any extra money that you'd get, you know, whether it was a bonus or anything else, you wouldn't use that money right away 
to pay off your debt, which is what a lot of financial gurus tell us out there. Is that correct? Am I? That is absolutely correct. Uh, and I love that philosophy because one of the things that I've taught my, my women, my clients and Money Magic Miracles in one of these practices, as well as in our year-long program has been that can always be there. And I love that perspective that you have, you know, like we can eliminate it, but it doesn't have to be one or the other. And why not pay yourself first? Because to me, that's the concept of you're paying yourself first and taking that money and then re growing it. Basically, you're taking that money and investing it. And you just did that intuitively. You know, like I just tell them, I'm like, because some of them might be like, well, I'm paycheck to paycheck. I get it. Okay. So if anyone that's listening and you're hearing me and Angie speak right now and you're like, oh, well, I can't do it. I don't have enough money. I'm not making enough money. I want you to bring this back to perspective to where she was at. She was at a $40,000 salary and over $100,000 in debt, you know, from student loans, from other things. So it doesn't mean that you have to put, give everything to student loans or to credit cards or whatever you have. You first, I love what you're saying. And I think it's very important to reiterate this, Angie, in case anyone missed it. She was making different choices. You know, she wasn't contracting and like, okay, I'm budgeting. I'm not going to do any more coffees ever again. No more trips. No, you're still living life, but you're just making different choices, you know, instead of just going out and spending when I don't have it, it's like, okay, well, I'll bypass that coffee. I'll bypass that trip this year. And then once she had that money, whether it was an IRS refund, a bonus or anything else, she would pay herself, even though she hasn't worded it that way, but she'd take that money and she'd take it and start investing little bits and pieces, whether it's, and you could start it in a wealth account. I call it a wealth account where it's not money to be spent on emergencies that might show up. But it's just money that you're going to let sit grow, let it grow there, and then go and invest it somewhere else. I love it. I love that you have that philosophy, Angie. So tell us how did that work? Was it scary for you at first that you feel like, oh my God, it's only $50, you know, or it's only $10? Like, how did you approach that? And I have another question after that. So yeah, how did you approach the beginning parts of investing? So Tanya, let me tell you something. I have worked, so the happy investor method, it's a, almost eight years old. And I have worked with people who make $50,000 a year. And I have worked with folks who make multiple hundreds of thousands. And the reaction that people get when they potentially lose $100 is flat out the same, right? Oh my gosh, I feel like I want to throw up. I think like I'm losing all of it. Does this mean I'm poor now? I suck at having money. So I had the same exact reaction, right? The same reaction I had when I put $100 on the line is actually the exact same reaction now I have when I put $1,000 on the line. And the reason why I'm saying this right now is for some of us, when we invest, I want you to look at that feeling you get when you put, say, a hundred bucks to something or $50 for something. You're going to notice that soon your tolerance does increase, but that feeling of discomfort you get for whatever that tolerance level is, that's the same. And you're going to have to learn how to monitor and push through that feeling. 
So back to what that feeling was for me when I invested. <laughs> and so for me, when I invested my first hundred dollars, right? So I kind of took a chance out on it and it was a partial share of Google at the time. Cause you know, I wanted to give back to what gave me. So I started with the Google search. So I wanted to invest in Google, right? invest in what you know, right? Or invest in what you use. And I thought, well, you know what? This is a game changer. Imagine if everybody out here is Googling things and learning. So I invested in Google and initially everything was going great. This was back in 2007, 2008. And then if you don't remember in 2009, something crazy happened in global markets. There was a financial crisis, a great recession. Folks were losing their homes. Banks were closing. And Angela with her little tiny baby brokerage account that at this time, it was probably worth about a thousand or $2,000, but still my hard earned money, imagine 20, 30 bucks at a time, it started going down. And when your account is up, it's green. And when it's down, it shows red. And at some point it was just a sea of red. I'd open my account and it was just a sea of red. And I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, this is like Wall Street. This is what people were talking about when they said that folks were jumping off of buildings in the twenties when you know, the stock market crashes, like, did I just lose all my money? And that's when I got my first taste of, oh, so this is what they meant when investing involves risks. And immediately I started thinking about all those things that I did wrong with money. Like when I took a trip backpacking across Europe and charged it on my credit card, that was a part of those six figures of debt. And when I did all those bad things, bad things with air quotes with money, and I thought I knew I shouldn't have done this. And then there was another voice and I said, no, you did your research, Ange. We spent hours, we've read books and all of the extremely wealthy people like Warren Buffett, our great granddaddy who doesn't know I exist, but you know, that's who my mentor is. He says that we need these moments to catapult us. And what most people do is they sell when it's low, when you need to buy. And so I just doubled down. In spite of it going down, in spite of seeing my potential losses, I realized they weren't real losses. It was imaginary losses. And I just kept on, I just even went harder. Talk about, you didn't see Angela taking vacations then. Folks, the iPhone came out. Everyone was talking about their new iPhones and all of this. I didn't go, people were online. I'd walk to work and I'd see all the lines outside of an iPhone store. I was like, you know what? Let me open my phone. I'm just gonna own some Apple stock. And that's what I just did. I just kept on buying. So even though initially it was hard, investing even $100, seeing that money potentially go down, all I did was I researched more and I understood that was the moment that I was waiting for. And I just made it work and invested. And it worked out. Those were the days where I ended up getting stocks that were on sale. Like it was literally a Macy's one day sale that lasted for a year. That is amazing. Tell us about this part of immediate gratification, getting the iPhone, like you're saying, versus buying the Apple stock. How do you get yourself to that space? Because I feel like we live in this society of just consumerism and more, more, more. We just, we just keep wanting more, not seeing the potential of investing in the company versus investing in the product, you know, that brings you that immediate gratification. It's a microwave society and we're all conditioned to want to be happy now, to live our best lives now. We, especially as you start getting more into middle and upper middle class, I have a framework where it's called you're living 
in the house of the poor, the house of the middle, and the house of the wealthy. And it's not a physical house. It's actually a mental and an emotional house. And this is how we operate. And when you're in the house of the middle, this is classic, right? That what you explained is a classic house of the middle class, right? And we get into these things of, I deserve this. I work really hard. Why can't I live in someplace that makes me feel good? And all of that is valid. But what I think about is I think about my later days are going to be better than my nowadays. And I think about the day that I have today is amazing because Angela of yesterday was thinking about today. And so I realized that I'm in this constant cycle. I'm in this constant cycle of today is amazing because of what I did yesterday. And tomorrow will be amazing because of what I do today. And so it's not about necessarily starving my pleasures today, but it's about practicing that delayed gratification and knowing that I will be a little hungry today, a little uncomfortable for amazing pleasure tomorrow. And that's just it, right? When I think about why would I want an iPhone? Well, I want to take better pictures. I'll look cool. That's cool. But honestly, I want to take better pictures and I want to call the people I love. Can I get this in any other way that is cheaper? All right. I want to look pretty amazing. And that bag over there is really cute, but it's about $700. Is there any other bag that I can get for $300 that will also make me feel cute and also have other people say that looks really cool? Yes, there is. It's called Michael Kors. So I don't necessarily need to get the Louis. I can get the same feeling with Michael and I'm going to be okay. And I'm going to invest in the holding company LVMH. And that's kind of like really the inner dialogue that I go through. That is so beautifully explained. How do we transition or can you talk about the different, the three houses, you know, the poor house, the middle house, and then the wealthy house, because like you said, it was a mindset shift in those three. Talk Absolutely. to us a little bit about that. And I will not take full credit for this. So I've built up on this, but the foundation of this presence is actually from Myron Golden, who wrote a book called From Cash Man, From Trash Man to Cash Man. And Myron, actually, I've met him a couple of times over the years. And this is to tell you, when you have a chance to work with someone and you think that they can be a really great person to learn from on your journey, you have to realize that if they're an investment, investments increase in value over time. So just as you're an investment, that person's an investment. And Myron is an excellent example of this lesson for me. So back in the day when I met Myron, it was in this little hotel where he was giving a presentation and I learned all these amazing concepts. And now if I wanted to work with Myron, he is the personal coach of the Real Housewives of like many cities in America. So I probably wouldn't be able to afford Myron now. And I'm so happy that I had even a chance to be in the room with him at such an intimate setting. So I'm saying this to say like all of you listening who have a chance to maybe work with Tanya or even be in the space with Tanya, like I'm seeing, I'm listening to you and I'm talking to you and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's just a matter of time before Tanya has this like cross multinational, international brand that is platform for wealth on a shifting level. So anywho, that's just like a minor footnote, but all this to say about the house of the wealthy and why this is important for you to understand. So when you have the house of the poor, typically speaking, when you get your money, it goes straight into your home. So it goes in a window, right? Called income. And then it goes straight out the door in expenses. So it comes in your house 
And then it goes to bills, it goes to utilities, it goes just straight out. It doesn't even live very long. And that's called paycheck to paycheck. So that's when you're just waiting for the next hit of money to come and it just goes straight out. Typically, this is identifiable by you saying, oh my gosh, I cannot wait for this next check to come. And then before it comes, it's already spent. You already know exactly where it's going and there's nothing left. So this is the house of the poor. Then you go to the house of the middle class and in the house of the middle class, what you hear is you typically get your money going into the window and then before it exits out the door, it makes a stop to a car payment, to a really high mortgage. It makes a stop to a credit card bill because you purchased all these things. It makes a stop to perhaps a student loan, to your child's tuition, or maybe a stop to their activities. And it just makes all these stops to things that make our lives full and fabulous and enjoyable. Also maybe to like five-star restaurants, 10 times a month, all these things. And then it goes to the outgo out the door, right? And so there, that's the house of the middle class. And you can look at your bank statement or your credit card bill, and you can identify if there's a lot of spending. Well, then you're probably in the house of the middle class. Typically speaking, you know this when you spend and you get the bill and you're like, oh, that was a little high. And then immediately you get the hashback, this kickback of, well, you know what? I worked pretty hard. So, you know, I deserve this. Or if, you go somewhere and someone invites you and you're like, well, I have been out a lot, but you know what? YOLO, one life, I should enjoy it. Sometimes this happens for entrepreneurs. If you're an entrepreneur, when you have a lot of expenses and you think, you know what? My business is my, my number one investment. And then before you know it, you're living paycheck to paycheck or just paying out more than you are bringing in or you're bringing in a lot of money in your business, but it's just going right out the door, paying everybody else. So that's the house of the middle class. Does that make sense so far? Yeah, absolutely. I'm loving this. All right. Now we get to the house of the wealthy, which is the house that we're all aspirationally want to be in. Now for the house of the wealthy, you get your money, comes in through the window. Instead of going straight to pay bills or straight to finance our beautiful fun lives, what it does is it goes to other investments. So it will go to invest in stocks and real estate, maybe in other businesses that actually give you a positive cash flow. It will go into perhaps a car wash, a hotel. I have hotels, so I'm a hotel investor. It will go into a lot of other things, annuities, it doesn't matter. And then with the money that you get from your investments, that's what goes to fuel your fabulous life. So it's the business or it's the stocks or it's the returns of those things that will purchase the property instead of a mortgage. It is those things that will be the write-off for the meals and the fancy restaurants. It will be those things that fund the fabulous life. And so it's really a well-oiled machine. And as those assets are increasing in value, they're paying for those fabulous things and they're write-offs for your taxes and all that. So your money just stays in your house. It just circulates. It doesn't actually ever leave. And that's the difference. And of course, this is way easier in a diagram. So we have a training called, how do you invest 10K or more? And in this training, I answer that question in like three minutes and I just show people, this is how you invest. But in the training, I actually show the houses and this is how you go through the houses and keep your money. It's much easier to show it to you with arrows, but if you can kind of grasp it, it's really how do you keep your money circulating within your ecosystem as long as possible? 
No, that was beautifully explained. I'm sure the visuals would help it. I totally understood it, you know, so thank you for that explanation. I love the three houses. There's two things I want to go back. I want to come back to hotel investments, but before that, you had mentioned where you, you know, this is based off of your mentor that you invested in. And I think that's such, you made such a great point to that of investing in ourselves. I think as women in general, you know, like I'm not going to say all women, we're getting better at it, but I feel like men are better at investing in themselves in general than women. Would you agree with that? Yes. And what would you say to all the women listening that have had doubts sometimes, like, why should I invest in myself? And what does that look like? Because they might be like, oh, I'm investing in myself. I'm buying the nice clothes or I'm buying that $700 purse versus the 300 or I'm buying the new iPhone. Would you consider that an investment or what is your definition of investing in yourself? Something that comes back with a guaranteed return. Ooh, and I so- love that. It's pretty clear to me and I'll tell you why. And I get, and trust me, I have a whole investment education company. So people ask me all the time, does this qualify as an investment? Does this not? Why would I pay for my education versus paying for the actual investment? I have the Chanel bag. This is an investment. I get it. Right. And the thing is it's, or my kids can get the Chanel bag. That one's also when we talk about generational wealth, it's a lot. Right. And so when you think about an investment and you know, guaranteed returns are never guaranteed, but what people want to realize when they think about investments, and I tell them this day one of all of our programs is, yes, you invested in me and you're going to be investing in investments, but the number one investment is actually you. It's how you treat yourself within this investing space and this investment realm. So when you join a program or you hire a coach, Your investment is not in the coach or the program. You are investing in how you show up in that container. Your investment is the container and you're investing in the soil and the water that's going to be watering your number one investment, which is you, right? You're the number one investment. You're the seed that is going to grow into a tree and bring fruit. And so when I think about this, and especially for women, I think men don't deliberate as much. So an example would be today, I had a a call with a potential person to join our program. And I sent him a page saying like, Hey, check this page out. It's going to let you know a little bit more about me so that I can focus on you during the call. And sometimes I'm a little lazy with these things, right? So I sent him the page and then on it has a free training from a past training. And it was to a women's only program. So his question was, do you only service women? And I said, no, actually I don't. 65% of our clientele happen to be men. And he said, oh, and I said, on this one rare occasion, I had a woman-only program. And he said, why would you have a woman-only program? I said, when we did the numbers and saw that it was 65% only men, I realized we have a real problem here. And women said they needed their own space to be more vulnerable. And I had to change the language. So this is what I'm going to say to us women. Men make up their minds much quicker. And as a result they are able to take advantage of opportunities that don't wait for us to make up our mind. And Mm. so kind of like what I said about Myron, I actually didn't join the program that he offered in that container. 
I did what typical women do. I called my husband. I asked him, what do you think about this? And he said, you're crazy for wanting to spend this much on your business. And you know what? I kept in touch with people and I eventually paid for coaching from someone that did pay Myron that price. And I could have just worked directly with him if I had bit the bullet and did it then. And so you're going to pay someone at some point. You're going to make the investment at some point, but don't take so long to do it, right? Don't double and triple guess yourself because you know what? Women actually make better investors. Women make better investors than men. And the reason why is because we're not as quick to flee once we commit to something. We're willing to stick in with the relationship and to figure out what to do to make it work. And so of my community, when I look at the numbers as to who make better investors and who are better students, the women clients are. Isn't it crazy? Yeah, but that's such a paradigm to shift. And at the same time, such a reminder for the women, you know, like, hey, just make decisions faster. Follow your instinct, you know, because in your case, intuitively you knew, but you kind of needed well, let me check with my husband. Let me get the confirmation from him. Let me, you know, and so you ended up paying when you could have gone to the source directly. And, you know, maybe that would have been a much higher return on the investment. I'm sure you still got a return on your investment paying this particular coach. And then for men is just a reminder too of just stick it through, you know, like don't, be so quick to abandon things, you know? So this is beautifully said of how we act and react. Let's talk a little bit about for someone that's never invested, because this can be such a scary subject. And I know it was for me, you know, when I left corporate, I went to Citibank and they told me I had to roll over my IRA into a 401k, I mean, my 401k into an IRA because I was now not working for a company. And that's exactly what I did. I didn't know the representative from Citibank. He put it all into these mutual funds. I lost a ton of money after I came back from Spain. I left for four years and then I was mad at him you know, instead of being upset at myself and taking ownership of just like, well, you need to learn about this, you know, like why you just abdicated all your power and your money to this other person. And it wasn't until I got the support from my husband that he said, you know, why don't you contact our family financial advisor and invest in stocks with dividends? Oh my God, that was the scariest thing I'd ever heard. I didn't even know what a dividend was just for everyone here, you know, to be clear. So what would you say? And then I did invest. I picked my stocks. It was a great way. I learned what dividends were. I started learning. I started investing. I started feeling empowered. I'm like, oh my God, I love those companies. I believe in those companies. So that was my trajectory and it grew really fast. And without me having to work hard at things, you know, that was the limiting belief I had. But what would you say to anyone that's listening, that's never invested in themselves or money? Because this just seems like way too taboo. And just, this is not something we talk about. I mean, I don't know how it is for you in the African-American community, in the Spanish community, you just don't talk about money. You don't ask people how much they make. You don't, you know, men are supposed to take care of you. Like, how does someone that comes from our backgrounds that we don't talk about these subjects, how do we get started in this? First, it starts with a decision. 
like everything. It starts with you deciding that I'm going to figure this out, right? And it takes a lot to make a decision. I won't ever downplay that because the decision is what you're going to go back to when things get a little rough. Decision also known as a commitment. So you make a decision and the decision is actually the other side of a decision is called a commitment. And so typically speaking, when things get hard and if you can't tell, I'm a stand for transformation, right? And so that's kind of the difference between me and quote unquote, the other guys or the other people. I work in the realm of what does wealth transformation look like? What's inner transformation, but specifically money transformation, wealth transformation, generational wealth, generational transformation. And it starts with a decision to say, I'm going to just try on this belief that money is here for me and supports me. And I believe that it can support me through investments because that's the whole thing about an investment. It's about money supporting you when you're not in the room to make your money work for you, right? That's all it is. It's when you're not, not physically there to make money with your bare hands or you involved, who's making it for you? And then I want you to imagine your investment stepping up and saying, me, 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 we're doing it, we're doing it. That's what it is. And so just making a decision to say, I'm open to being an exploration about this. Just take the pressure off. If it doesn't work, the worst case scenario is you're right back where you are right now, but you do have to make a decision to do something better. And that's what I tell people who want to just start, right? We have something called a first stock challenge and you can be an investor with just owning one share in one company. And it really isn't about how much money you're gonna make or you're gonna be a multi-bagazillionaire. It's really about shattering the belief that you can't do this. If you can own one share, you can own 10, then you can own 20, one day you'll own 50, 100 and 1,000, right? That's how the muscle works. So that's where you start. You start with a decision and then you make a commitment and then you read a book, you get educated. Education is important. If you meet someone who says they tried investing and didn't work, you ask them, hey, did you ever get educated in it? Did you try a course? Did you try doing it long-term and passive? Or did you try doing a day trading, you know, compete with a hedge fund broker out there on Wall Street? And if they say, no to any of those things or yes to any of those things, you're going to understand why it didn't work. If they didn't get trained in it, it probably didn't work. They tried to be, we're going to beat Wall Street and Goldman Sachs. It's probably not going to work. But if they tried the good old school way of just making your money grow passively, odds are it's going to work because it's done it for millions of people out there. I love it. You're so good at just bringing it down so that it feels comfortable for all of us of just saying, you know what, I can do this, you know, like just start with a book or listening to podcasts like this, you know? So that's the other question that I wanted to ask you when you're looking for mentors, teachers, coaches, because you're investing in yourself, what's your criteria when you're hiring them? So for me, I typically like to learn from people who have what I want. Right. I'm always a fan of that, or at least they can break down the information in a way that I understand. And so it was really interesting when I first started teaching investing, I had people who had way more money than me want to learn from me. And I didn't understand that because I was just like, Hey guys, I've only made like $75,000 here. Right. I didn't make a ton of money to me. That wasn't a ton. Right. But for some people that is, but they said, wait, 
but how much return have you made? And I said, yeah, this is like 45% return because I was coming from six figures of debt, right? And I'm like $20 here, a hundred bucks here. But when you looked at the return and 35% return, when the typical advisor was giving 3%, well, they're like, girl, I don't care how much you make. You're making percentage. You're making a higher rate of return. And so then I realized, oh, well, I guess you're right. I am doing a lot better than a lot of other people. It's just that my circumstances, I don't have as much liquid cash because of a circumstance that I was born into that I have no power over. I have no power over being born the race and the gender and the socio crap that I'm, I am exposed to in my daily life that I am constantly overcoming. But what I do have control over is I'm damn good at strategy and I am damn good at executing strategy, right? So one of the things that has taught me that I am really passionate about either one, you're going to have what I want. And two, you need to be really good at communicating that knowledge to me because I have one hired people that me thinking that they have what I want, that they're going to be really great at coaching me and showing me how to get it. And then being screwed over, like, man, you suck at teaching, right? Ever got an audiobook and fell asleep a thousand times over? Like, oh, this is so yeah. boring for a course. <laughs> like, ugh. yeah, that's me too. <laughs> and then the other point is I'm okay with actually learning from someone if they can show me the results in terms of it might not be as big as where I am, but you got to show me that you're on track, right? Those people who invested in me in my early days of my company, I might not have had as much money as they do, but they knew that I was also an investment and they knew like, oh, this, let me get in the room now because Ange, I'm not going to be able to get in the room with Ange, right? So that's what I look for. I look for, do you have what I have and do you have the ability to teach me? So an example would be, I remember reading Warren Buffett's book when I was learning and also bored to tears because it's really, really big and I am neurodivergent. So I have a slight learning, many learning disabilities and abilities. And I also learned many different strategies. So I made a lot of mistakes in the beginning, like I said, and really what I do now for my clients is I teach through analogy. So the company is called the happy investor method. And I lead with happy because we teach through analogy logic and I simplify very complex strategies. I love that. And I love that you're bringing in, you know, being neurodivergent because it goes for anyone that has a limiting belief that might be listening right now. Like, well, I wasn't born into this. I don't understand money. I'm dyslexic. I have, you know, fill in the blank. We all have something. And it's such a reminder that you could learn with Ange, you know, like if that's her superpower of, you know, just synthesizing everything and teaching through analogy, you know, that you can learn this too. No one's born knowing about money and how to invest. So I appreciate you bringing that up because I could imagine people listening and like, oh, well, I don't have the capacity or I don't have, you know, I wasn't born in the right place or, you know, but I have this difficulty or I have this disability, you know, like there's always, there can always be an excuse or a more than an excuse, it's a limiting belief that we've been, that we've bought into. It's a lie that we've bought into. So I appreciate you sharing about that. How you mentioned before, I wanted to come back that you have invested in hotels and real estate. So 
take us a little bit through that trajectory too. So you started investing, you know, 50 bucks here, then your Apple phone money into Apple. So it was, it started with the stock market and then what other areas did, how did you get to become, you know, hotel owner or an investor as a hotel owner or real estate, you know, like, and just all the different possibilities. Cause don't they say that the average income streams of the wealthy is to have at least seven different income streams? It is to have at least seven different income streams. And I am clear that they all, for me, have to be mostly passive because I'm not trying to work seven different jobs. And so I think a lot of clarification. Yeah, I think a lot of people get confused. It is. And for anyone that's listening, like, well, I could never get, well, you can have a job, but you can also be investing in all these other things. So the day of tomorrow, if you don't have a job, or something happens to you, God forbid, or you need to take off for a full year because you want to take care of a loved one, that you have these other streams that are producing money for you. It's not to say don't have a job or don't have your own business or do something that you love, but it's important to remind ourselves of this idea of what Ange is saying. Um, just have other other streams of income that you don't have to work hard at. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, and it's to me, you know, I'm one of those folks where I'm blessed to be around a lot of older people. So to give you an idea, I have an aunt who was born in 1937, right? And she is, we just celebrated her 80th birthday last year on a cruise. And so I've been around some stuff and seeing how things shake out in the latter years. And what's really important to me is to be able to just press pause and peace out whenever I absolutely need to for my mental health, for the health of the people that I love. Of course, we have our team and I set my life up in a way where we can do that. You know, I'm an active investor and I teach investing. And so even for our programs, like people will reach out to me and they say, Hey, want to join a program? And I'm like, great. I teach this program one time a year and it's going to run at this time. They're like, I want another now. And I'm like, great. I'm ready for you at this time of the year, right? And it's so intentional because you want to set your life up in a way where you can do whatever you want when you want, period, right? I want to, I'm going to be writing a book and we're going the traditional route. And I know at some point I'm going to have to sit my butt down and write this book and I'm going to have to have money still coming in while we do this, while I do this. So I can stress out about money coming in actively or I can just have these passive investments bringing them in. So this leads me to the hotel deal. (laughs) So initially I have something called a wealth stack and I won't get too much into it, but it's pretty much where, remember when we spoke of the house of the wealthy, you have investments. Well, it gets to a point where your investments start purchasing other investments. So I utilized my stock investments and they grew and I invested in real estate investments, right? And so what's really cool is that I put eventually put example 5k into Apple and eventually it grew to 10k. And then I put that 10k into a down payment for something. And did I technically pay $10,000 down payment? No, it was really 5k, but they got 10k. And that's the beauty of investing, right? And now the property is worth like 300k and it's still my 10k of money. And I don't care how it works. All this matters is that I can sell it and make like $290,000 profit. And it's beautiful. This is again, investing. So I started thinking about, I want more cash flow, And I got the opportunity to invest in a hotel because I wanted to invest in another residential real estate. However, 
the pandemic happened and residential real estate skyrocketed. Remember that when yeah. all the home values went up and I was like, so now what do I do with this money sitting in my, my savings account, making no money at all. And a lot of people have a lot of money sitting in savings account. It's what I call a good problem because you have the money, but it's looking at you and it's not working and inflation's eating it up. So I got an opportunity to invest in a hotel and what's really nice about the hotel industry is that there's passive money coming in because people are constantly in the hotel. So I thought, well, I want passive cash flow. So I pooled resources with about 10 other investors and we purchased two hotels during the downturn. So residential real estate was really high, but commercial real estate was really low because people weren't going into uh, hotels or anywhere because they had to stay home because they could potentially get a life-threatening virus. So that's the story of the hotels. I actually just invested in another one just like a week ago. And again, it's just kind of cool. Just play. I literally play, not play with my money, but I do have a lot of fun with money. And so that's the latest foray. I also have invested in like SpaceX. And so technically I own spaceships, which is kind of crazy to think about. Yeah, I really am like a parent of money and I let it go play and I see what it's going to become when it grows up. And I expect it to fully take care of its mother, me. I love it. I love it. And I love it. Thank you so much, Ange. This is great. Where can people find you? So I am not super social on social. And one of the reasons is just because I love working with my clients. I love engaging on our email list. And so we do have a freebie and you can go to happyinvestorguide.com and we change our freebies quite often. But if you want nuggets in your inbox, just go to happyinvestorguide.com. And we typically have either a free training or a simple handout or guide that you can get and we can stay in touch. Sometimes there's an audio training. So just check us out at happyinvestorguide.com to grab our latest freebie and also to see how we can work together. Either way, it's been amazing being in your ears and you've got this. You were born to be wealthy. You were born to be abundant and this is your time. Well, thank you for sharing that. I know everyone listening appreciates it. What's one thing that our listeners can do to live a life with more courage and do the scary thing and give yourself grace and knowing that you'll probably mess it up, but that's okay. Love that. Thank and when I you. say probably mess it up, I mean, it's probably not going to look like what you think it's going to look like. So that usually means mess up for a lot of us, but it's going to be beautiful and may not look like what you want and give yourself grace. Yeah, it's just do it messy. And at first it might not look like you want, but then it might surpass your dreams. Absolutely. Yeah. Give yourself grace. You are trying your hardest, all things considered. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate having you here today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun. I am so grateful that you joined me today. If you enjoyed it, there's one thing I'd like you to do. Click on the follow button so you don't miss a single episode. Leave me a rating and a review, and please share. As my way to thank you, email us a screen grab of your review at the email in the show notes, and we will send you a free Crafting Your Future guided visualization, which is so simple to do with outstanding results. It will empower you and give you the confidence to attract and create the life you've always desired. See you in our next episode.